2: Thanks for joining us here on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're getting ready for the Easter Food Basket Giveaway from Friends of the Poor and the Family to Family Food Basket Program. It's coming up this Wednesday at Scranton High School, and we have Sister Ann Walsh, Assistant Director, Friends of the Poor, and Megan Loftus, President and CEO, Friends of the Poor, to give us all the details on that, as well as the stay-at-home If you haven't heard about that yet, it's a lot of fun, and it's to raise money for all the different programs that Friends of the Poor is responsible for. Also joining us today, we'll meet Beth Distasio. She is a court-appointed special advocate in Luzerne County, and she will be sharing her passion as a CASA volunteer. And if you've ever wondered what it would be like to be a CASA volunteer, you'll want to hear Beth, because she has quite the story. And in order to raise money for Casa of Luzerne County, Michelle Riley is joining us. She has all the information on NEPA Sings. That's coming up very soon, but there's still time for you to audition. 16 and over, they'd love to hear from you. But first, let's hear from Michelle so you get an idea of what it's all about. Michelle, welcome back. We haven't had you here to talk with in a while, and you're wearing a different hat. Normally it's, the mo- <laughs> more, normally, it's the mountaintop rotary, but you're not this time. What hat are you wearing?
0: That's correct. This time, I'm here for an annual event that we have through Casa of Luzerne County called Nipa Singh. It's an amazing contest that we have to showcase our local talent and you know give some prizes away at the end of the day. Oh, we'll talk about those. Let's talk about the local
2: talent first, because... Again, this is it's not the first year. This has been
0: going on how long? This year will be number four. My second year actually being on the committee. And um, I'm so honored and excited to say that this year, once again, I will be a judge at the finals. So I'm too excited about it. Well, it's fun.
2: that's that's too much pressure for me because they're all <laughs> so good. Let's talk about getting involved and what at this point in time. People are getting involved, and what are they doing?
0: Right now, we're still looking for contestants for the auditions, which will take place on April 10th. They can go to luzerncasa.org to register. There's a link there to register so you can get into the audition. And then we'll have our finals on May twentieth at the Think Center, and then we're actually for the first time going to have a grand uh, showing for the finals at the Garden Drive-in on June twenty fourth, which will be exciting. Of course, we have to wait till the sun goes down, so it'll be about nine pm when we show the film. But uh, the gates will open at seven pm with some local entertainment, some food, and lots of lots of fun things going on before we, you know, before the sun goes down. That is a big deal
2: because being on the big screen,
0: that's that's big. <laughs> it is. I have to tell you, it is. And it's kind of worked out for the best. And, you know, COVID had a big play in this last year. We couldn't do the live uh, finals as previously done. So through the magic of Cole Creative, who jumped on board and put together this amazing film of the finals, then we had over ten thousand viewers and you could see it on Facebook or YouTube or, you know, all those different social media avenues. But now to actually have it on the big screen at a drive in theater is even more exciting. And Cole Creative just did an amazing job last year, and it's growing bigger and better, and I can't wait to see how they put this together once again this year. Let's talk a
2: little bit about
0: the auditions.
2: How is that working this year? You said there's a date in April that they
0: end, so how do people do that? You will send in an audition tape for the judges to review different set of judges for the audition for them to be able to pick the finalists. And again, once again, all of that information is going to be, if you go to LuzerneCasa.org to register, that all of the information is going to be there for you. So that is the best place to go if you're interested in auditioning. And the more people, the better. So we're really excited. We want more people to come and you know get involved and be part of this. I want to say that this is a major fundraiser for CASA of Luzern County. Right now, we have over five hundred children in foster care just in Luzerne County alone. We're only serving about ten percent of them and the goal is to serve all of these children in foster care. So it's a you know, just such a worthy cause. We're looking for sponsors, additional sponsors at this time for NEPA Sings, um, and you know, as well as the contestants. So and when you're ready to talk about that, I have some prizes that we're going to offer for our first and second place winners and for this year for the first
2: time, a fan favorite as well. Let's talk about it then. Give them some idea of what they might get.
0: Absolutely. Our first place winner will receive three hours of studio time At Republic Audio, so I get to do some recording, which is you know everybody's dream when you're a singer, right? You want to do some uh, professional recording in a studio. Also, dinner for two at Ruth's Chris, and a show for tickets for two at the Kirby. Of course, we don't know what those shows are going to be yet; things haven't been scheduled, but they certainly will be. Our second place winner will have a five hundred dollar package to Mohican Sun Arena in a suite. Mm. With eight of their friends, their closest friends, eight. to Ooh. a show a show to be determined. yet. Yeah, the show is not, you know, determined, obviously, again, with COVID. But uh, they will have $500 to use in a suite at the arena. And then our fan favorite, which is brand new this year, which the viewers will vote on, uh, will win $250 gift certificate to Simon & Company Jewelers. So how about that?
2: Wow. Some We're bling. getting involved, right? We've got every, you've got everything covered. You've got nights out. You've got bling. You've got everything covered. Let's go back to the auditions. Now, if someone in, and I know you said it's on the website, but it's more exciting for you to explain to us, you make a video of yourself singing and you send it off and judges take a look at this. And how many finalists do you have?
0: Well, I believe we're using 10 finalists once we get right down to the end of it. There will be 10. The finals will be held on May 20th in person at the Fink Center in Wilkes-Barre. What? That's right on South Main Street. In person. In so, person. So, yeah, how we tape it. That's where Cole Creative comes in and does this magical, you know, just like you would see on TV on the talent shows. Cole Creative will do that, and then we'll have a little movie of it. The only thing is there won't be an audience pre-COVID, we would do it in person with an audience of approximately 300 people. But now, again, it's going to be in person without a live audience, but being taped. Is there any kind of
2: age limits, restrictions of any kind? 16 years old, to any
0: age. If you're 50, 60, 70 years old, come right in. There's no limit on that end.
2: How do you let the the, uh, folks know that they're a finalist?
0: We'll certainly call them and and let them know um, so that they can, definitely pick their time to come and uh, audition at the finals at the Think Center and then once again on June 24th is when we're going to have the showing on the big big screen at the Garden Drive-In. Will you know who the winners are
2: before and will they know that they're the winners before it shows on uh, at the Garden
0: Drive-In? No they're going to know on June 24th that's (gasps) when everyone will find out so it's really exciting to watch.
2: Oh, so you've got big screen and big announcement all at the same time.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Keeping it under our hats for a little bit. Oh,
2: and as a judge, I just have to ask you, pressure?
0: A little bit, you know, because they're all amazing. They all have such great talent, especially when they get to the top 10, that again, last year I was blown away. And you want them all to win because they're really all definitely deserve to. But you have, you have to really look at the performances and see who actually gave, brought it, who brought it, who gave their best performance. But lots of talent, lots of talent. So I love every minute of watching them. They're great.
2: And you're no stranger to that because you're also a singer <laughs> and around town. And I I forgot you were Judas. How could I
0: forget uh, that? That was, oh, that was the main, the best role I could have had it, uh, ever asked for to do. It was so much fun uh, at the uh, Phoenix Theater in Duryea. Gosh, it's been a couple of years ago already, Paula. I know. I like the
2: idea that you're giving uh, things away that are hopeful. Kirby, mm-hmm. Mohegan Sun, things right. like that. I think that's great. I'm going to let you wrap it up and I just need you to go over one more time the progression of how things go and those important dates, especially the big one in June.
0: Absolutely. Yes. So contestants can go to luzerncasa.org to register. There is a link there and the auditions will take place on April 10th. The finals For those final top 10 contestants, will be on May 20th live at the Think Center. And then we will have the showing uh, on June 24th at the Garden Drive In. Gates will open at 7 p.m. Food, entertainment, and, of course, once the sun goes down at 9 p.m., we will show the movie through the magic of Cole creative. They do such a great job putting it together. Um, so we're really, really excited. And please, please get involved. We really do need some sponsors. So if you're interested in being a sponsor, please, you can go to uh, Nipa Singh's uh, Facebook page even to get some information, as well as LutheranCasa.org.
2: Thanks once again to Michelle Riley for joining us and giving us all the information about upcoming NEPA Sings competition. Now, don't forget 16 and over, and there is still time for you to put together your audition and get it to the judges before the April 10th deadline. And then, of course, you never know you might be making it to the finals and on the big screen at the Garden Drive-In coming this June. Again, you can check out NEPA Sings on their Facebook page, or you can also go to luzerncasa.org. Now, speaking of CASA, maybe you're wondering exactly what it's all about, who's involved, and who do they help. Don't go away. Coming up next on Special Edition, Beth is a CASA volunteer. She's very passionate about what she does and hoping that maybe you'll share that passion and want to become a volunteer too. And today we'll wrap up Special Edition by hearing from the Friends of the Poor. You're going to find out about their upcoming Easter food distribution and basket giveaway. And in case you haven't heard you can contribute to the stay at home ball and help all the programs that they do all coming up on special edition welcome back to special edition or if you're just joining us Thanks for joining us. I'm Paula Dagnan. We just heard from Michelle Riley. She has all the information on NEPA Sings. It is the big fundraiser to benefit CASA of Luzerne County. And once again, a reminder that all you have to do is go to NEPA Sings Auditions on their Facebook page and get all the information. The auditions are Saturday, April 10th, from 10 a.m. until 2 and you want to get your video of your performance in before then and then of course on June 24th it's the NEPA Sings Viewing Party and this year it's going to be on the big screen at the Garden Drive-In. Now that you heard about the big fundraiser maybe you're wondering what is CASA? Who are they? Who do they benefit? We're going to meet Beth Distasio. She is the court-appointed special advocate in Luzerne County and a CASA volunteer. She is very passionate about being a volunteer for CASA, and after you hear from her, you might be too, because you have been with CASA of Luzerne County for how long?
1: Um, I was sworn in initially in May of 2017, so I'll be coming up on four years.
2: Could we let our audience know exactly what CASA is, what it does?
1: Well, we are court-appointed special advocates, and basically um, a CASA goes through 30 hours of training, um, and that's classroom as well as presentations from individuals who are involved in the court system, um, Judge Rogers, people involved in children and youth. And we are trained in terms of advocating and what um, what is in a child's best interest. So our role is to be the eyes and ears of the court and to advise the judge through getting to know a child as well as we possibly can, what is in that child's best interest.
2: Back in 2017, whatever made you want to get involved with those kind of qualifications?
1: Honestly, there was a television commercial that I saw and I called a friend of mine who was also a Paralegal, and we both were just struck not knowing that this organization existed and not appreciating the need in our community. I never realized, I mean, currently we have over 500 children in foster care in Luzerne County, and I didn't know that such an organization of volunteers existed. So I did a little bit of research. I went to an information session and... As soon as I learned about the program, I couldn't think of a better organization to devote time to.
2: Let's start back to the first day that Beth got the call and they said, we would like you to become a CASA volunteer. What happened then?
1: There is, you do have to go through some background checks and submit recommendations. And then my first experience really was attending class. At that time, pre-COVID, we got together in person. So you go through the training before you become an advocate. You start off and you learn and you go through 30 hours. And at the time I was doing it, it was during the week in the evenings And then when you're done, that's when we have a ceremony with Judge Rogers and you're sworn in and you take an oath. So until you're sworn in, it's just a matter of engrossing yourself in the training. We also did courtroom observations. So I had an opportunity to see other CASAs who had gone through the program prior to me actually go to court and testify and provide their opinions to the judge, which is invaluable in terms of seeing the outcome of what you're getting ready to do.
2: The people who are volunteers, don't have a law background.
1: Is that the same in your case? That's not the same in my case. I kind of have an advantage because I have been a paralegal since, this will age me, um, 1988. (laughs) I run my husband's uh, law firm, so I'm Office Administrator Paralegal. So I had the advantage of having been involved in the civil side of a lot of litigation. I had never been involved in family court. So there was a learning curve there, but I did have the benefit of knowing how, you know, a case moves through the court system on the civil side.
2: What exactly are are you learning law? Are you learning psychology?
1: Um, How do they train you? It's very diverse. You learn about different cultures because when you are appointed an advocate, the first thing you have to do is leave any preconceived notions behind. So, There's a lot of cultural training in terms of how different cultures and family structures interact that might be different than how we were brought up. There's training in terms of how a dependency case goes through the court system so we know what to expect in terms of, you know, how a child comes to be removed from a home, if they're placed in a foster home, things of that nature. So you learn that whole process as well. We learn how to gather information about that child and in an effort to get to know the child as well as possible and use all the resources at our disposal, Because as an advocate, it's incredible. I mean, the order that the judge gives you, you pretty much have access to any person or, you know, organization that that child interacts with. So that includes teachers, doctors, coaches, therapists, medical care providers. And the more information that we gather, the better equipped we are to make considered recommendations to the judge. So a lot of the training is preparing you to do that. We bring in current advocates on panels, and I think that was invaluable to me because then you can ask people who are actually in it because it is a daunting when you get assigned a case and the first time you go out to either a home or wherever you're going to meet this child, it's a little nerve wracking. I do have to say that as nervous as I was, the second I met my first child, who was three years old, after that first visit, I was at ease. Because once you connect and you see what you're there to do and you actually see the child you're going to be advocating for, it's just a game changer. Kind of everything falls into place and you realize you went through all this training, but then it's, yes, this is what I'm here to do. And for me, it was a little three-year-old. It's kind of hard to think about how are you going to connect and get to know a child at three years old enough to advise a judge. But in training, we learn h- how to go about gathering information and keeping an objective perspective, so to speak, not passing judgment on situations, on you know facts that you read. You have to be very objective, which at times is, is difficult. Three years old. I mean, although she could not articulate, a lot of what we also learn is where children should be in terms of their maturity and growth at three years old. So I knew what to look for. And we go through that in training, like what milestones should they be achieving? And a lot of times if they're not, there's a reason for that. There's also behavioral manifestations. If a child is a victim of abuse or neglect, um, like I never knew that children would hoard food. And that is when they come from a home that there isn't food food and they get placed somewhere where there is ample food, they will still steal food and hide it at three years old because they've learned that food is not always available to them. So there was a lot of instruction in that regard where, where you kind of hone in on what signs and symptoms to look for. And then there's resources in terms of we learn about different organizations in the community that help these children that I wasn't aware of. There is, you know, Child Advocacy Center. There are other organizations that help children who are the victims of sexual abuse. And you learn all the resources that are out there in the community that can help you when you are trying to figure out whether to make a recommendation that a child engage in these services or to reach out to the people involved to gather information.
2: So from the time that you met this first three-year-old, what was your initial reaction where you have to make recommendations, where you have to deal with parents or caregivers. And that must just be a sometimes scary
1: situation, Beth. There are moments where I wouldn't say as much scary as it's out. It was out of my comfort zone. My first case, this little girl, she just reinforced with me how wonderful this program is, but she was lucky enough to be placed with a foster family that fast forward almost two years later adopted her. So For me, it was trying to get to know her and the family dynamic that she was currently involved in, but also getting to know her natural mom and going and overseeing visits at Children and Youth to learn how she interacted with her natural mom. You can't give a recommendation until you look at all aspects. So it would not have been fair of me to just see her interact with her foster family. I also needed to see how she interacted with her natural mother and eventually, the court terminated her natural mother's rights. But in order to tell the judge whether I thought that that was, you know, a recommendation that would be in the best interest of this child, I needed to observe how she did interact with her natural mother. In her case, I, I will say that every, just as every child is unique, I think now that I'm on my third case, Acasa's role in each case is, we, we have the same role, but it takes on different manifestations depending on the age of the child, the where the child is placed, And things of that nature like each of my cases has been so unique use all different skill sets I think depending on those factors
2: you said you're on your third case now have you been able to see how the other two are doing
1: so my first case because I was involved with her and she was such a young a young age once she was adopted by her foster family I keep in touch once in a while I'll check with her now mom The other two cases, my second case was a sibling group who had been removed from their home for domestic violence. And the one thing that, you know, you have to remember is these children are not only traumatized by the situation that requires them to be removed, but then sometimes they're also being removed from siblings, they're in a new environment. So I think one of the most important things and one of the most valuable things we do is... We are, we are that one consistent thing in a child's life. Like once they realize that, you know, we're going to keep coming back and you're going to see this person. And sometimes you're the only person that's consistent because at times like caseworkers, their cases will change and they might not have the same caseworker throughout the entire case. So my second case, the girls had been removed and it was for a shorter duration. They were ultimately placed with um, natural father And that's where they are right now. And I do, I continue to see them even though their case is closed out because I just developed a relationship with them. And the same will be true with the case I'm on now. It's a 16-year-old girl who was removed. She has eight siblings and they were all split up and she's by herself. And it's been a very difficult journey. I foresee myself staying in her life just because she's point blank asked me, like, no matter what, you're still gonna be here, right? If this case ends, and, and I've told her I absolutely will.
2: And now here you are deciding or helping to decide what kind of a path their life takes. Does sometimes that seem a little bit daunting?
1: Well, I think you do have to strike a balance. I mean, you do have to keep in mind that your role is to advise the court what is in the child's best interest. So I think it depends. It depends on the CASA and the situation. I mean, there are cases, as I said, my first case it was in that child's best interest that when her case was over, the less she remembered about two years of going through a legal process that caused her to have to go to family court every so often, she needed to be done with that part of her life. And there's no need for me to be involved. Second case, I check in on the girls. I'll you know meet them for lunch once in a while. It's not a requirement. And we always say that it's up to the child. If a child wants you to stay in their life and you're willing to do that, and that's terrific. I mean, there's some children who might not want that. The girl that I'm assigned to now, she's a 16-year-old girl who needs as much guidance as possible. She's been out of her home for over over a year, and she's been in when I first got involved over 10 10 placements. So that's a lot for somebody who's a teenager to go through. And she's made a lot of progress. I mean, she's you know when I got involved in her case, she was not involved in school. Now she is attending four days of in-person class, and she's on the honor roll. Great. So, I mean, she's, yeah, she's come a long way. And to see things like that, you realize what a valuable and important influence you can have on just one person's life.
2: That must be very rewarding.
1: It is rewarding.
2: But what happens when Beth walks into that courtroom and has to make her discussion to the judge to get questions from the attorneys to have all these other people in the room? How does that happen? (sighs) (laughs)
1: That seems very
2: daunting to me.
1: I mean, despite the fact that I've been involved in, you know, uh, the legal profession, I am not a, a good public speaker. So for me to get up on the stand or testify, it is a daunting task. I think what I usually do is just keep in mind why I'm doing it which that kind of outweighs my nervousness or whatever that is. So that's that's the first part. The second part is as long as you follow our training and you have done your job as an advocate and you have reached out to as many people as you can and you've objectively looked at things and you can get on a, a witness stand and say, these are my recommendations and this is why – and, and you have to be able to back up your recommendations. It's because you you know, have spent time with a child. It's because you've spoken to their teachers. In the case where there was the natural mom's rights were terminated, I wanted to be objective enough to say, I've spent time with natural mom. I've observed her with this child. And despite having done that, I still think it's in the best interest of the child that her natural mom's rights be terminated. So I think keeping your objectivity is one of the most important assets when you're in a courtroom because you don't want to look like your body highest. You just want to make sure that your sole role is to be the voice of that child and to make recommendations based on everything that you have gathered, all the information you've gathered and all the time you've spent with the child. And, you know, a lot of times it's actually asking the child. I mean, it's a fine line between what a child wants and what's in their best interest. And our role is not to um, advise the judge what a child wants, it's our role because what a child wants sometimes and what's in their best interest are two totally different things.
2: When you're in that courtroom situation, Beth, and anybody, again, who is maybe even considering now that they're hearing what you're telling them, what was the initial sit down? You're in the the stand. So it's not like you're sitting at a table. You're in front of everyone. Here you are. It's your first time. What's going through your mind? If if you know your
1: case and you're and you've done everything that we're trained to do, generally you're you're very well prepared. And and again, we have other, you know, we have advocates who have gone through this. So prior to you testifying, going to have met with your advocate coordinator. You're going to have the support of other advocates who have been through this before. The one thing is CASA is a very there's always people to reach out for help. Advocates are always willing to help other advocates or to share their experiences or to say, you know, this is what I ran into. And, you know, this is this is how I handled it. And that might be helpful. I mean, I can say when I was testifying in my first case and the natural mom's attorney was cross-examining me, basically like, why do you think a judge should terminate this mom's rights? That's a daunting task because she's sitting in front of me and, you know, I don't take that lightly if my recommendation is that that a judge terminates rights to a five-year-old little girl. But I had been with the case long enough, observed this child, seen the trauma she had been through and continued to be subject to through her relationship with her natural mom that I didn't have a doubt in my mind that her natural mom's rights being terminated was in her best interest and that the only chance of her having the wonderful life that she now has is for this foster family to adopt her. So, I mean, I think the more passionate you are about the case, it, it's not as much daunting, you know, as as long as you know what you're testifying to and you're prepared. We're ready. You know, it's not like you're walking in and you haven't or had the opportunity to um, prepare for it, ask questions. So I, I don't, I think anybody who goes to the training or looks at this program, I mean, anybody can be a CASA. You just, you know, you just have to care about the welfare of these children. And it's once you meet them, I'm telling you, it's just, it it really is life-changing.
2: And how many are out there now who are looking
1: for volunteers? Children? I believe there are a little over 500 children in the in Luzern County foster system at the moment and I think in hold me. I think we only service about 10% of those children at the moment. Anyone who even has questions, we have information sessions obviously via Zoom in light of the pandemic, but we have them regularly and then we have another training class in the spring. You know, anyone who even has remote interest, I would encourage you. It's it, it truly is one of the most rewarding experiences I've had and Going on my third case, you know, I mean, I just, I think I've seen three very different cases, but I can also take a step back and know that I positively influenced these children's lives in in some way. Did you ever think about quitting? One thing we really do ask is, we ask if you are assigned to a child that you stay with that child through the pendency of the case, and I and I think that it's so important because, as I said before, these children see a lot of people come in and out of their lives, and I think once you make a commitment to a child, you know, you need to see it through. So I have never considered that. Um, have I gotten frustrated at times? And absolutely. I mean, it really, sometimes you don't understand how, you know, how these children can can be put into the situations they are. There's times that things take a lot longer than you want. I would just say, you know, I've, I have gotten frustrated, but I've never thought of um, quitting. No, I have not. And how have
2: you not just taking them home with you?
1: (laughs) Well, number one, we're not allowed to. Um, The the important thing is you have to keep in mind what our role is. Our role is not to uh, replace what a foster family would do. And right now, the the little girl I do advocate for who's 16, she's asked me that. Why can't you just take me home? And, you know, I have to explain to her because that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to help you through this process. I'm here to, you know, advise the judge what's in your best interest. You know, I'm here to support you, to help you. But I think it's very important that we keep our role. And as one of my friends likes to say, we stay in Arlene. And Arlene is our role as an advocate to be the voice of the child and to be the eyes and ears of the court, because they don't have the opportunity to, you know, see the child in their surroundings. You know, they see them in a courtroom.
2: How much time do you put into all this?
1: It it truly really depends on the case. They would like for um, us to see our children at least once a month. And I would I would say, on average, I would think a typical case would be between 10 and 20 hours a month. But it depends. Like one week, it could be, you know, I spend a lot of time. The next week, not so much. I think it really depends on the case. I mean, I work full time and I can still fit it in. There are times that I do see my current child more than once a month. There's times where I see her, you know, because of weather or whatever, but usually it's w- once a month is ideal unless something is going on that would require more. And then obviously, if there's court hearings, we, well, we used to attend them in person. Right now, they are via Zoom. But that's another really important role is that, you know, children, when they get to the courthouse when we were in person, that's really nerve wracking. If you haven't been over to the courthouse before, So another thing in my first case that was very important is, you know, I would meet her on the first floor as opposed to up where natural mom is. And like there's all chaos and it's everybody wants to get to this child. And I would meet her downstairs and then, you know, talk to her before we would go up and it would just take out some of that nervousness. I mean, you know, for for a little kid to have to go into the courtroom, it's nerve wracking.
2: I think that you are the best advocate for getting involved in CASA. We have so
1: many wonderful advocates. I mean, and I I appreciate the compliment, but I mean, there are so many advocates that are are just amazing. We have retired individuals. We have school teachers. We have so many different professions. And I don't think a lot of people realize how many children are in Luzerne County who are in need of someone to just really take an interest and stand by them.
2: I certainly hope that if anyone is interested, that this has... Given them the extra oomph in order to make the call.
1: It is such a worthwhile program. We need more volunteers and uh, our website has a wealth of information. Just go to LuzerneCountyCasa.org. There's all the information on upcoming information sessions and a little bit of more detailed information on what we do, the events we hold to raise awareness and raise funds to support our cause. So I would really encourage you to do that.
2: Thanks again to Beth Distasio, a CASA volunteer for Luzerne County. And if you would like to find out more, you can always go to their website, LuzerneCasa.org. Now don't go away. Coming up next, Friends of the Poor getting ready for Easter on Special Edition. Next on special edition, Friends of the Poor are having an Easter food basket giveaway this coming Wednesday. But did you know that Friends of the Poor are oh so much more than just all the wonderful food distribution that they've been doing since the beginning of the pandemic? We're going to meet Sister Ann Walsh, Assistant Director, and Megan Loftus, President and CEO. And they're also going to invite us to the Stay At Home Ball. We want to say a big welcome to Sister Ann Walsh and also to Megan Loftus. And we are going to be talking about what Friends of the Poor have coming up. And there are many events, right, Megan? It's not just we're looking forward to Easter, but what
3: else do you have? We are also doing our 35th anniversary celebration. So it has been 35 years since the founding of Friends of the Poor, and we're celebrating with a stay-at-home ball um, to establish an endowment fund in honor of Sister Ann Walsh and her over uh, 12 years of dedication to Friends of the Poor. Well, that was the perfect
2: introduction. Sister Ann, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about your background. And as Megan just mentioned, you've been with Friends of the Poor for 12 years. What were you doing before you got into all this fun? Well, as
4: an IHM sister, we have many lives. So starting in education and healthcare, and finally settling in with my master's in social work and coming to Friends of the Poor 12 years ago. Now that you're
2: involved with Friends of the Poor, what are you seeing? You know, it's been around now for how many years, Megan? 35. 35 years. And now Sister Ann Walsh is at the helm. What are you seeing for the coming future?
4: Well, I think Sister Adrian's dream keeps evolving and we keep uh, enfleshing it every day. It, particularly during this past year, the need has just mushroomed. But even before that, we've answered the need in so many ways with Programs around food and clothing and household items and a men's clothing program, STEM camps for children, after school programs, summer lunches, wherever the need is, I feel like we're there to respond. And it's, it's been a journey.
2: Megan, mm-hmm. let's talk about you're looking forward to Easter. What's going to happen then?
3: So we will hold our Easter food giveaway on March 31st at Scranton High School. Uh, We're thinking, you know, very similar to Christmas and that it'll be an increase from our previous years. Um, You know, pre-pandemic, we would typically serve about 1,500 families, and now we've been holding steady at 2,000 to 2,500. So we are going to serve probably 2,500 people, uh, families, and we're hoping to do an Easter basket for children as well. In the past, we've done, you know, one Easter basket per child under the age of 12. That's a little bit harder right now with the increase in numbers and the drive-through format we're having to do with COVID. Um, so we are still asking people for donations of gender-neutral Easter baskets that we can you know, give out, hopefully, at least one per family, if not one per child.
2: How could someone get in touch with you for donations and the like?
3: The giveaway for Easter will be on March 31st. And if you want to volunteer, donate an Easter basket, um, you can give us a call at our office. It's 570 340 6086. Or you can always find us on Facebook and send us a message. We do always need volunteers for the events, but we just ask that, you know, because of the pandemic, people give us a call ahead of time and let us know that they're interested. That way we can make sure that we have enough people, but we're not overloaded and we can maintain some social distancing.
2: And again, where is this going to happen and when? It'll be March 31st at Scranton High School from 10 to 5. Is family to family involved in this as well?
3: It is. It it is our family-to-family program that's doing the Easter giveaway. So family-to-family is part of Friends of the Poor. Um, That's the name of the programming that we we call all of our, you know, big community-wide food giveaways. Now, I'd like to talk about
2: the Stay-at-Home Ball. Sister Ann, I, a human dynamo, superhero, <laughs> energizer bunny.
4: It keeps me laughing. That's what I have to say. Yeah. So the stay-at-home ball will support all of what we do at Friends of the Poor. And as I see it growing and I see myself aging, I say, how is this going to continue? So it's with the support of the community. We got this far and we're going to keep going ahead in being able to meet the needs of the community. So uh, this endowment fund really is not about me. It's very humbling and honoring, but it's about the uh, continuance of all of the ministry of Friends of the Poor. And that's why asking the community to support us to be able to have the outreach that we, we have now and into the future.
2: Friends of the Poor have done this in the past, correct?
4: Well, we were pioneers when there were so many places to go and so many things to do for so many agencies we started a stay-at-home ball where you could just relax and not have to go anywhere but you could support us so um, it was five years ago for our 30th anniversary and it was so well received that we said we're going to continue it so here we are five years later when it's kind of the standard practice now, we never thought it would be this, but here we are <laughs> adjusting to the current situation.
2: And what came out of of the one back in twenty sixteen?
4: Well, we we raised enough funds to be able to purchase a new pickup truck, which is a- absolutely what we needed at the time, and also helped us to sustain all of the programs that we had. Our uh, ten pantry sites, our men's clothing program, our furniture bank, things like that, that really um, needed all of our help to continue and expand to meet the needs. What is your goal for
2: this particular stay-at-home ball?
3: So our goal is 350000 um for our 35th anniversary. Um, we understand that it is a lofty goal, but um, we're really hoping the community comes together and supports us because the truth is that our agency is is needed now and it's going to be needed well into the future because as much as we would love for poverty to be eradicated, it's not you know, realistically going to happen in the next few years or even decades. Um, and we won't always have the sisters to fill those roles and we'll, we'll have to um, have more and more lay people like myself coming in to fill those roles. So that's really why we, we chose 350,000 just for the, the 35th anniversary, but we'll keep fundraising and we will keep adding to the endowment to make sure that we're here whenever anybody needs us. And how can someone
2: get involved in that?
3: You can go to our website, which is com, and you can make a donation right on the page there. Or you can give us a call uh, at 570 340 6086. And we'd be happy to send any of the information out to you. We've actually set up a text to give option. If you know that you want to support and you don't want to have to, you know, go through the website, you can just text the word Walsh to 570-525-5956. So that's just a text to donate number. It's not a phone number to call, but through there.
2: Sister Ann, you're right in there with the technology as well. (laughs) going to be left behind. Megan and I have talked about this in the past, how the need increases. When you see all of the things that you have already added to, I don't even know where else, what else can you do?
4: Do you have other (laughs) ideas? Well, Megan always says to me, whatever my answer to everything is, yes, we'll, we, we can do it. What really delights me is our staff and volunteers are eager to just take the risk. And if there's something that needs to be done, then we'll do it. We're doing utility assistance programs now and keep adding to that, you know, new programs around that. So the people who are, you know, never had to struggle before. During the pandemic, they're choosing whether to pay rent or pay their water bill or pay the electric bill. I, I can see all kinds of new things having to come up to, to come into being and really how everybody is just able to handle all of this and what the what the new next normal is going to be because uh, we're never going to go back to what it was. So whatever will evolve, will be there with it.
2: See, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about Friends of the Poor is that it is more than food donations. The um, utilities. Now, how would someone get involved if they needed help with that?
4: Well, we have a um, email address that we're asking people to use, or they can call us at Jackson Terrace. So the number, phone number, would be five seven zero three four eight four four two eight, and the email address is water at. And the letters, there's a group of letters now that are going to come, represents the first letter of every word of Friends of the Poor. So it's F-O-T-P dash, three more letters, I-H-M dot org. How does that work? For anyone who has a Pennsylvania American water bill, we can help them with grant assistance in different, from different funding sources so that we can help them. I
2: also see that you've added a men's clothing program and Furnished
4: by Friends. Well, our men's clothing program is like the male version of Dress for Success for Women. Awesome. And and we call it Clothesline for Men. It is located in two buildings uh, just adjacent to the campus of the University of Scranton on Linden Street. And right now, one of the, the social justice outreach department at the university is helping us to be able to staff that and get the clothing out to the men who need it. So the staff and students are really doing a great job there. Great. During the pandemic, we have to take orders and fill them and they can uh, get work clothes, dress clothes, whatever. And how does the
2: furniture aspect work then?
4: Well, we receive donations of gently used furniture. And uh, we have a warehouse. We rent 9,000 square feet uh, furnished by friends. Right next to it is a free home goods store. But with the pandemic, we have to take an order for the household goods. We fill it and, and they pick it up.
2: And I'm sure that anybody who's hearing this is now saying, oh,
4: I wonder if they need donations. We take it actually um, day by day, depending on how much space we have and who we have as volunteers to help receive it and sort what we have. Megan, if you can just give us
2: one more time the um, information as far as Easter and the Easter distribution is concerned.
3: The Easter distribution will be March 31st at Scranton High School from uh, 10 to 5 please be on the lookout on our Facebook page for any updates to location or time, you know, if there's any weather issues.
2: And Sister Ann, could you leave with our listeners today what got you involved and what you hope to see continue with the Friends of the Poor mission?
4: What really got me involved was our congregation. We're a sponsored ministry. Friends of the Poor is a sponsored ministry of our IHM sisters. And our mission as friends, flows from our IHM mission. And the the what got me involved is the opportunity to be a part of this great mission to ease the burden of living in poverty for families in this area who are struggling.
2: And the 2021 stay-at-home ball is underway right now, ladies? It is, yep. It's now and through April 8th. Once again, the Food and Easter Basket Giveaway will be coming up on March 31st, and the Stay at Home Ball continues through April 8th. Also, a reminder that if you would like more information on any of the programs that you heard about today, you can always contact Friends of the Poor and check out their Facebook page.
4: Over 30 years ago, Rotary made a promise to the world a promise that we would eradicate polio. With the help of our partners and friends, we've made incredible progress toward that goal. So today we find ourselves on the brink of completely eradicating
0: polio from the face of the earth. When, not if, we get there, it will be
4: only the second time in history that a disease affecting humans has been eradicated. The Gates Foundation believes that every child deserves a chance to live a healthy, productive life. That's why we're so excited about the partnership we have with Rotary International and the Global Polio Eradication Initiative in the final push to rid the world of polio. Together, I'm confident we'll achieve a polio-free world. Let's drop to zero. Let's drop to zero. Let's
1: drop to zero.
4: zero. Rotary District 7410 of Northeastern Pennsylvania continues this
1: effort to rid the world of polio. Come join us. Visit inpolio.org. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications.